long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. An adventure unlike anything on your planet. They're coming in too fast! An epic of heroes and villains. The story of a boy, a girl, and a galaxy. The Force will be with you. Always. Star Wars. The saga begins. The complete Star Wars trilogy is now in our galaxy. And now for our feature presentation. This is Jason. This is Gabe. And yes, we have coming up later in the show Richard Woloski from Skywalking Through Neverland, and he is going to be talking to us about the year 1987 in Star Wars fandom and the infamous Star Wars Celebration Zero, the first ever unofficial official Star Wars celebration that happened way back in 87. Yeah, for the 10 year the 10 year anniversary celebration. We were thinking before we were recording that this is going to be a kind of slow news week. There wasn't too much to talk about. Maybe how, like, it looked like they were using old Nokia phones on Episode Nine, or maybe still talk about Clone Wars or something, maybe. But nope. There was a little bit of Episode Nine news this week. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a little taste. Hit it! So about four o'clock on Friday afternoon, four o'clock our time, they dropped bombshell on us. Star Wars Episode Nine cast announced. Oh, so it starts out filming will begin in Pinewood Studios next week, August 1st, 2018. So this episode comes out on Tuesday. On Wednesday, filming begins. This is where the fun begins. <laughs> We're going to get some drone pics of people in bathrobes 
drinking cups of coffee. I can't wait. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year. Maybe, maybe we'll get a, uh, a blurry Hallmark ornament in a couple months. <laughs> That'll ruin an entire day. Yeah. Oh, it's filming begins on the final installment of the Skywalker saga. Just seeing that in print. Man, that's heavy. You know, it hasn't been that heavy since we saw the final installment of the Skywalker saga in 2005. <laughs> but, hey, I'm all for the final installment again. You know, it's exciting. <sighs> Returning cast members include Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Lupita Nyong'o, Dom Hall Gleason. Oh, thank God. Hux is back. Kelly Marie Tran, Jonas Sutamo, and Billy Lord. Joining the cast of episode nine are Naomi Aki, whose name, I'm sorry, I'm probably mispronouncing, but she seems really interesting. She looks like she's a British actress, right? And she's just done a bunch of British productions, it seems like. Yeah. It's almost like Daisy Ridley. Yeah. It's kind of coming out of nowhere from the UK. Yeah. She was in the movie Lady Macbeth that came out in 2016. Um, looks like she's been on Doctor Who. A UK TV show called The Five. She was in a couple episodes of that. So not, yeah, not a lot of stuff out there. So JJ's working his casting magic again and kind of just picking someone out of thin air. Well, and that's, you know, he's the guy for that. He's got a knack for casting. So I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing who she plays. I don't know. Very interesting. Also joining the cast, Richard E. Grant who I think it's almost confirmed will be reprising his role of Clifford from Spice World. If we're lucky. Your mother. Hey. Your mother. And your brother-in-law. Yeah. And your mad cousin. Yeah. And your next-door neighbor's ghost. From Mancha. Now I kill you. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Boys, boys, boys. Calm down. Have you not heard of the word compromisation? What? We can, I mean, it would make sense that finally the Spice World Star Wars crossover that we've all been waiting for. I, I think now is the time. Really, you know, it's episode nine. It's the final installment of the Skywalker saga. All bets are off. Really, there's enough uh, returning cast members to start a acapella group or something too. So maybe there'll be like a a sing off. <laughs> you know, Mark Hamill's probably in a barbershop quartet somewhere. <laughs> He's got it all. I would like to see the final duel between uh, Ray and Kylo be like a singing battle. Like they both have to enter a karaoke contest. It's really the only way to solve anything. I, I have from a source at Lucasfilm that um, that the song could be "Come On Eileen." Well, <laughs> you thought Ryan Johnson was getting weird. He just threw down the gauntlet for JJ. JJ's like, "How am I? How am I going to make this weirder?" And Carrie Russell is joining the cast, which that was a late in the when the announcement originally came out, Carrie Russell wasn't in there. And then like an hour later, they put her in there, too. Everyone's like, where's Carrie Russell? Is that not going to happen? Yes, it happened. So that's cool. Good to know she's confirmed. Uh, who will be joined by veteran Star Wars actors, Mark Hamill. Who could he be playing? <laughs> I, I like that they just got it out of the way and said that. Ghost Luke Skywalker is going to be back because he's going to be 
in England anyways, posting pictures from the Beatles Museum in a matter of days. <laughs> well, the whole thing's got me thinking, too, is like, OK, this is JJ, super secret mystery man. Is Are they announcing this to say, hey, this isn't super secret mystery JJ? Or is JJ digging up mysteries so deep that Mark Hamill being in the movie is like not even a big deal at this point? Like there's the real crazy stuff. We're just distracting you from that. Oh, I am sure Luke was at such a Zen Jedi Master level when he disappeared. Who's to even say that he's coming back as a ghost? He could come back like Yoda in The Last Jedi and just be physical form. He could just be there. Yeah, because at this point, he's had the most practice at this uh, coming back as a Force ghost thing. And other than Yoda, right, he's the only one that died of net, didn't get murdered, basically. But Yoda died because he was old. Luke just faded away because he wanted to. So, yeah, maybe. He was so tough with the Force. He's just like, you know what? Peace out. I'm going to disappear for a little bit because I'm so powerful. I can do whatever the heck I want. If he does come back as a ghost, who's he going to be hanging around? Is it going to be Ray? Is it going to be Kylo Ren? Is it going to be uh, PZ? L337? Is L337 going to be back? He wasn't in the cast announcement. Maybe he's just going to come back as a ghost and talk to R2. Anthony Daniels is back, no surprise. And Billy D. Williams, who will reprise his role as Lando Calrissian. Good to know it's all official and all set in stone. It seems like if this was Force Awakens, that Billy D. would have been a surprise, maybe. I'm glad it's just out there. We know he's going to be there. So now he can be in the promotional stuff, like he's going to be in the book. <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be in the visual dictionary, because at least we know he's in the movie. So I'm excited. Now, the next part is where things get crazy. The role of Leia Organa will once again be played by Carrie Fisher, using previously unreleased footage shot for Star Wars The Force Awakens. J.J. says, We desperately loved Carrie. Finding a truly satisfying conclusion to the Skywalker saga without her eluded us. We were never going to recast or use a CG character. With support and blessing from her daughter, Billy, we found a way to honor Carrie's legacy and role as Leia in Episode 9 by using unseen footage we shot together for Episode 7. Wow. The real wild stuff is to figure out what they're going to do with that, how they're going to fit that into the story. I don't know. That's I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time. The one thing I thought was there was that whole thing in the trailer that we talked about it in our Force Awakens Rumors episode of Maz giving Leia the saber. So we know there was some Leia stuff that was filmed that we didn't see for Force Awakens. So is she just going to be wearing that like that vest again in Episode 9? Are they going to change her clothes? And how are they going to change her dialogue? That's where I feel like they're going to use the footage of her face. But maybe because they have... Actual footage of her, it doesn't really count as a CG character, but I can imagine them replacing her body, maybe. So she's not just, yeah, wearing that vest. And yeah, will they just re-edit lines of dialogue to be different sentences? Will they use a voiceover actress, maybe? She's just only going to be talking about Snoke. <laughs> Every question they ask her, it was Snoke. She's like, oh man, poor Leia. She's still talking to Han. She thinks he's still alive. I don't know. You know, you think of the wizardry they did in Rogue One with bringing back, like, uh, Red Leader. Sky's the limit with what ILM can pull off nowadays. And it's intriguing, but it's like, well, I didn't expect this at all. I know. I don't know. I just 
it just seemed so logical to me that they would just, I don't know, I guess it would be sad, but to just have her die between movies and just not have to deal with it. But I'm impressed that they're going to give it a go and see how they can get her incorporated back into the movie. If anyone can pull it off, it's it's Star Wars and ILM. So it's kind of exciting to see what they're going to do. I, I, I bet you at Celebration Chicago, we'll get our first look at General Leia or if she's even still General Leia by the time we get to Episode Nine, uh, well, how she's going to look in this movie? But yeah, well, and I guess it's Star Wars. If if she only appeared in hologram, I mean that's not out of place, you know. Which makes it easier too if she's just talking to everyone. She can they can give her the uh, Newt Gunray hologram chair that walks around, <laughs> and then that ties into the prequels, and we get we get real Carrie as a hologram. We'll find out. It's it's intriguing, super intriguing. But I, don't, I have utmost faith faith in JJ Lucasfilm and ILM to pull it off. They wrap it all up saying John Williams is going to be back, and uh, it's produced by Kathy Kennedy, and uh, Michael Kaplan is doing the costumes, and Neil Scanlon, that crazy man, is back as creature effects. Episode nine is scheduled to release in December two thousand nineteen. Here we go. It's for real. It's the most wonderful time of the year. She was as tough as she was beautiful. Here they come! A gentle princess who could handle a blaster with the best of them. But all she had to do to save the Rebel Alliance was escape from the Death Star. Princess Leah was running out of time. Princess Leah is back. Star Wars is back. Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. So this week we are talking about the fantastic year of 1987. What happened in 1987? Now, aside from major historical moments like the release of RoboCop and Predator, Over the Top and Dragnet, Munchies, and everyone's favorite Star Trek IV, The Quest for Peace, what was going on in 1987 with Star Wars? That's the real question. And to talk about that topic today, we are honored to be joined with Richard Woloski from Skywalking Through Neverland. Richard, how are you doing tonight? Hey, hey, guys. Thanks for having me on Blast Points. Love it. Thank you. First off, obviously, 1987, it was the 10-year anniversary of Star Wars, the original Star Wars. But Richard, what was your fandom like in 87 no fandom didn't i don't think that word even existed in 1987 well for star wars this was the this was the start of the dark times we had just gotten uh, star tours that was just in uh, january uh, 1987 and i thought oh boy what's what's gonna happen next the star wars fan club was starting to wind up the comics had wound up the year before the monthly poster magazines were were non-existent action figures. There were, the only thing left on the pegs were, was Lobot. So at this point, there was nothing going on for Star Wars fandom until uh, the big event. And I know we'll, we'll get to that in a, in a couple of seconds. But I was starting to feel really depressed because at this point, Star Wars was my life for 10 years. And at this point, I was oh, I was 18 years old, and for half of my life, it was all Star Wars. 
and now there there wasn't any Star Wars. And Lucas had said that Star Wars is going on vacation. Don't know when I'm going to start it back up. There was no word of anything new. If anything, it didn't sound like he was going to be visiting the Star Wars galaxy anytime soon. We knew he had other films going. He just had Labyrinth. He just had Howard the Duck. And I thought he was going to be going in in new in new directions at at that point. And wow, I, I was so sad because the, for me, there wasn't really anything else to take its place. A couple of years later, Batman filled that void. But in 87... It was just a, a low point in fandom. Did you did you get bat crazy in eighty in the summer of eighty nine? Oh, I, I sure did. <laughs> oh, because we were so hungry for something else, we had to have something, and Batman filled that void. It was fantastic. It was some. It was a film that we could all wrap our pop culture geekdom around, and until then, we didn't really have much of anything to get us excited there wasn't really a film that make it to make such a huge splash i love hype and i i love all of that all, all the hype that goes around a film it just got me so so excited and batman was really the one to bring that back and it had it touched the star wars nostalgic fandom nerve for me that's what really did it all yeah, that's true. Because Batman had the well, had the merchandising to go with it, so he had the shirts and the toy line was great for that. So you kind of got everything that went along with the movie, like you did with Star Wars. It wasn't just the movie; there was this whole thing that came with it. Yeah, you had posters of Michael Caton look, looking very indifferent. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was bat crazy. That summer was insane because it started out with Last Crusade, and then we had Batman, and there was Ghostbusters two, and there was for me it was a really big deal Star Trek five. Now, what's crazy is in that summer also was Karate Kid 3. I didn't know that Karate Kid 3 was an actual movie until, I'm not kidding, about five years ago. (laughs) A friend of mine was telling me about Karate Kid 3, and I was like, there's no Karate Kid 3. And I watched a trailer on YouTube, and I was like, oh, my God. Karate Kid 3. I never even knew this movie came out because I was crazy. Yeah, you knew about the next Karate Kid, right? No, I, and that's the weird thing is I saw the next Karate Kid in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oddly enough, karate, the next Karate Kid was shot right in my hometown of Newton, Massachusetts. So I'm watching the film going, oh my God, I've been there. I've been to that police station. Reasons I won't say. I've been there and I've been there. I, I, didn't, I really didn't see the film until like a couple of years ago when I was showing my wife, Sarah, the Karate Kid series because she hadn't seen it. And at that point, uh, what was it? Willow Smith, who did the remake of the Karate Kid? One of the, one of the Smith kids. Yeah. She, yeah, that was her Karate Kid. But I had to show her going back to the beginning with Mr. Miyagi, with Daniel's son, and going to Karate Kid 2 and 3 and next Karate Kid. And for anyone out there wanting to revisit the Karate Kid series, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend three because I it was a brand new movie to me and it was like a time capsule. Daniel Sun, it's a very interesting performance by Ralph Macchio in that. Have you seen Bad News Bears go to Japan? I have seen Bad News Bears go to Japan. Weirdly, I had the novel adaptation of Bad News Bears go to Japan. Don't ask me why. <laughs> All right. The first two Bad News Bears films were so much fun. And then this, the part three turned into like a love story. And that's what kind of happened more uh, for the Karate Kid 3. I know two was really, really slow because of the love story. And three just moves backwards. <laughs> I want to see some. I, I want to see the crane kick. All right, you show me the crane kick, and we're all good. 
Maybe it's a weird thing with me where I, I really like sequels, though, that take dramatic left turns. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> See, you got that twice with Karate Kid. Or four, three, three times with Karate Kid. All the, all the sequels take dramatic turns. <laughs> Which is why they, by the fourth one, they made the first one over again. It was a full circle by that point. There were so many left turns. <laughs> That's true. That's true. No, the man must make a choice. And the kid must become a man. You are going to defend. You're getting in that ring. What am I doing? First he suffers. Then he suffers some more. Ralph Macchio. Pat Morita. A John G. Avelson film. The Karate Kid. Part 3. So 1987, it was a dark time. It was the beginning of the dark times or we were, it was the darkest of the dark times because you said we were still years away from new Star Wars. We were years away from the Timothy Zahn books. The, the VHS release had just come out. Star Tours was out there. I mean, Lucas was out shooting Willow, which that had the CG morphing thing in it that they kind of took some stuff from young Sherlock Holmes. And it was, we were inching a little closer to eventually the technology where Lucas felt he could go on and make the Star Wars movies. But the biggest thing, probably for Star Wars in 1987, aside from Star Tours, the biggest thing for fandom was the big 10th anniversary Star Wars convention in Los Angeles. And suddenly my life had meaning again. <laughs> I remember, I, so I was 11 in 1987, and I remember the big Star Wars 10th anniversary issue of Starlog. And I remember that issue really being a big deal because we were, what, four years out from Return of the Jedi? And, you know, as an 11-year-old kid, I was playing G.I. Joes now and stuff. And, you know, other kids didn't really talk about Star Wars around me or play with their Star Wars toys anymore. Even though I still loved my Star Wars toys, it just wasn't, for an 11-year-old, being put right in front of my face anymore. But I remember that issue of Starlog coming out. And I remember there was an article in there about what could happen in Star Wars prequels or sequels if they ever got made. And it was one person just getting crazy and hypothesizing about what could really the story of Anakin be or what could happen if Darth Vader had children or grandchildren. And I remember being 11 years old and thinking like, wow, I never thought about that. I never thought about like Mandalorian super commandos and all this stuff they're talking about. But I remember also in this, there being ads for this 10th anniversary convention. Now I was 11 Gabe, you were 11 too, right? Yeah, I would have been 11. Getting, going out to L.A. at that age would be impossible. How, you were 18. How You didn't live in California at that time, though, Richard. No, I was living in Boston, and I had gone to Florida to see my dad a couple of times, but I'd never gone out to this mysterious place called California. I knew it existed in the movies, but did it really exist in real life? It, would ju it just seemed something that was way far beyond my grasp. I, I couldn't get out there. There's no, there's, there's no way a, a Boston kid like myself could go across the country. It was, it, was, it was terrifying. But I had a friend named Henry Lapierre, and this kid was he, – he was fearless. He said, Rich, we're going. No, we – are you kidding me? No, Rich, we're going to California. And I just put my, my blast shields on. And said, let's do it. And we made plans. Luckily, my, my sister loved planning out trips. So she planned the airfare and everything I, I needed. And come the, the Memorial Day weekend, the couple of days before Memorial Day weekend in 87, I was on a plane and I was sweating. <laughs> I was sweating. But knowing that 
in a few days, I would be at the Mecca of all Star Wars events. I was going to be in the presence of Peter Mayhew and Anthony Daniels and Billy D. Williams and all these people that I'd only seen on screen. And now here they were, and I would be, I would be seeing them face to face. The emotions were just going crazy in my head. When we landed in California, I saw the, the Concourse Hotel where the convention was going to take place. And there was a billboard for the Star Wars 10th anniversary. So it was all becoming very real. And the most real thing about it was the weather, how dry the, the heat was. I recall saying to my friend Henry, boy, aren't you loving this weather? I don't know why that memory sticks out, but it does. A, a day before the convention started, we went into the hotel and, hey, they're getting set up. We're seeing all, all these banners. We're seeing flags and dealer's room. Hey, let's go walk it on in. Okay. <laughs> so we, we got a little preview of the convention before the convention started. It's a good thing, too, because if we had walked into the convention the day of, we wouldn't have been able to take it. Remember that scene in Raiders where everyone's faces just melt and explode? That would have been us, and we didn't have the insurance to cover that for the hotel. So we, it's a good thing we had gotten into the hotel a little bit beforehand, and wow. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here. I'm going to stay here in California. This is where my, where my people are. Side note, I, I had to go home a couple of days later. There were Star Trek conventions, there were Comic-Con, but convention culture back then was nothing like it is today. So had you ever been to a, a, like a big deal convention before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was a convention veteran, which is why we felt so comfortable walking into the hotel. And Henry and I were, we used to go to conventions all the time. And once you've gone to your 50th convention of the year, and it's like February, you begin to explore backstages so we would walk into the, go to the back hallways and where the room service was and the end where the kitchen is. And we got, we got to know how to get around a hotel inconspicuously. So that's what we did. That's what we, we had gone to a lot of conventions. It was fantastic because during the school weekdays, people didn't, they weren't into Star Wars anymore. In fact, they would always say to me, oh, Rich, you're going to go home and watch Star Wars now? Well, yeah. Rich, you missed school yesterday. Were you home watching Star Wars? Yeah. And I was getting kind of sick of that. But on the weekends, we were with so many like-minded people. And I had, and so every weekend, we would just look, look for the nearest convention to the Boston area. And there was always something going on. And every year, there was the big Lost Con convention. That was the big, I mean, the BossCon convention, which was the big Boston science fiction convention. So at this point, yeah, I, I, was, a, I was a veteran of the, of the science fiction conventions. This was really the first ever strictly Star Wars convention. Yep, first official Star Wars convention. So this was sanctioned by Lucasfilm. There have been other conventions saying that they're Star Wars related or had a, had a little bit of a Star Wars theme, but nothing that had Star Wars guests like this. Rundown for our listeners. Who were the guests in 1987? From what you from from memory? Okay, from memory. Uh, first, I got to say that do you know what the official title of this Star Wars convention was? Starlog salutes Star Wars, a 10th anniversary tribute to George Lucas and the galaxy far, far away, which he created. That's why I call it Celebration Zero. Did, could you buy a hat with the whole name on it? <laughs> <laughs> you had to buy two hats. Yeah. 
They don't have t-shirts. They just have bathrobes with that all the way down the back. (laughs) (laughs) Really long neckties to get all the words in. But now to go back to your question, who who were the guests? So Anthony Daniels was one of the headlining guests. Peter Mayhew, Billy D. Williams, Ralph McQuarrie. I know Richard Edlin was there. Uh, Charles Lippincott was there. And a lot of these special effects technicians and and a special appearance by the maker himself, George Lucas. <laughs> so this was not something I was I was ever going to miss. And that first day when I did walk into the into the convention, Anthony Daniels was, was just walking around with the crowd. No one really recognized him. I did, and I, I was going ballistic. And a couple of feet away from him was Peter Mayhew. As you know, Peter Mayhew does stand out in a crowd. He stands above and beyond the crowd, so he was not very hard to miss. But now here we are hobnobbing with all these people that we idolized for so many years and read interviews by, and I, I'd written pen pal letters to these people, and I, I knew more about them than I did my own family. And here they are right here in front of us. That's something I remember. Like, we've talked about and that's something I've heard you talk about on your show before. And I'm, you, you were pen pals with Macquarie and Richard Marquand. How old were you when you started this? And how were you like, you know what? I'm going to write Richard Marquand a letter. The Star Wars fan club had a great service, which I'm now finding out 30 some odd years later. It was run by a good friend of mine named Craig Miller who was the Stephen Sansweet of his time in, in that he was head of the fan relations. So he set up all of the fan club interactions with the fans, and they had a service. Hey, you write to the stars, and we will forward your letters to them. Well, okay, great. So every birthday, I'm, I'm huge on dates, so whenever someone had a birthday, I would write them a letter. And it wasn't until a couple of years later I started getting correspondence. I would get letters, and these were actual autographs, and Craig Miller has said this, that they were actual autographs from these people, and I got this letter addressed to me from a Mr. Ralph McQuarrie. His, his penmanship, I got to tell you, is the best penmanship I've ever seen anywhere. You can tell this guy is an artist. We wrote back and forth a couple of times, and he was so thrilled that I knew someone behind the scenes because I don't think these people ever got fan letters. Every letter was to the the main stars. But not only was I a a fan of his, but I knew his work. I knew knew the right questions to ask. I I, I could ask him questions regarding his his career with with NASA and other aspects of, of his artistic life. And he really liked that. And I would ask him things that about paintings that he had made but never really saw the light of day. And every once in a while in the fan club, they would, they would print a, a rare picture. And I would tell him a little bit of the history on that. And he was like, how do you know this? And he was, so he was like very excited that people actually took the time out to write to someone behind the scenes. And then I wrote to Richard Marquand, and we just had a, a good uh, rapport going back and forth. And he was very excited that I'd seen the film so many times. That's good. When you, when you went outside and checked the mail and you're like, Hey, I got a letter from Ralph Macquarie. Did you like suddenly transcend out of your body at all? Float in the air? 
squeal. <laughs> <laughs> I I squealed a couple of times. Ran up to my to my my Star Wars sanctuary in my in my room. Lit a candle. Opened the letter very carefully with a a a, a very sharp knife. Because a collector, you can't rip or tear anything with Star Wars on it. So very carefully, and I still have these envelopes too. I opened up the letter, took it out, and I would just read each sentence like four or five times. Because they, they weren't very long letters. So I knew I had to really savor the moment and keep just reading the same sentence over and over again until I worked my way down. And like an hour later, I was done. And it was, it was incredible because here are these people that they knew my name. And for a, someone in Star Wars... To know my name, I I don't think I slept for like a month. Wow! <laughs> and I would I would also get letter uh, not letters but postcards from the different actors. Kenneth Colley, he'd also wrote me a letter who played Admiral Piet. He was he was very very nice and friendly. And I got something from Warwick Davis that the envelope said Master Richard Woloski. I thought, oh, he's calling me Master. Oh my goodness, what did I do to, to deserve this title? Till I realized that's an English term for sir. Still cool. Yeah, so I've got a big binder full of all these autographs through the Star Wars fan club back in the 80s. You could publish that as a book. You know what? As soon as I can dig them out <laughs> and find them. I know I posted one letter I, I have from Ralph McQuarrie on our Skywalking Through Neverland Facebook group and, and page. That's because I can't find the other ones. I know they're here somewhere. I know they're here somewhere, and I've got to find them. Here, we'll, we'll stop. Go find them right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't lose them. Did you hear about Celebration Zero through like reading Starlog at the time? Yeah. Starlog was it. Starlog was the internet for nerdy kids in the 80s before there was the internet. That's all we had for information. And if Starlog said it, it was the truth. Sometimes. <laughs> I say that very loosely. Now, sometimes they would post uh, conventions in Boston that never really happened. So when you're 15 or 14 and you got to make your way into Boston when you when you live about 20 miles outside, and you get to the hotel and there's no convention. <laughs> yeah, you want to have some very angry words with Starlog magazine at that time. I remember Starlog would be like, Interspace 2 is happening and it's going to come out in two years. And then I would spend all those two years being like, maybe now I'll finally get a preview for Interspace 2. Oh, you know, these Starlog magazines are online. They posted each each issue cover to cover. And I've been having a great time revisiting the 70s and 80s through these magazines. Marty McFly didn't have as good a time back to the future, back to the past as I did. Some of my favorite things are some of the ads for like uh, like a shiny silver satin Star Trek three jacket you could get or something <laughs> like that. Like, man, that lit up. Yeah, it lit up. I beg my parents, can I please have a light up Star Trek three silver jacket? No. They, I just saw the uh, when I was revisiting those epi- those episodes, those issues. I saw the ad for the Empire Strikes Back hotline in 1980. And the picture they used was a Fence Norway behind the scenes of, of Hoth. You have a couple of rebel, rebel soldiers out from the distance. It's like, really? That's the picture you use? Now, it sounds like I'm slamming Starlog, but I, I lived and breathed by Starlog. I love this magazine every single month. And they would run consecutive Star Wars issues. So, like, you know what? All hail the Starlog. At last, Starlog, 
a serious science fiction magazine. The making of Star Wars, Close Encounters, the Superman movie. In Starlog, the astonishing magazine of science fiction and fact. Starlog is a real blast. Oh, and then another point for about Celebration Zero. I think this is where the hardcore cosplaying really set in. They've been dressing up, as we called it back then, at conventions, but this time we got hardcore. We were because we were ten years out from the five hundred first even existing at this point, but there were stormtroopers there, and there were like biker scouts and. Who were these people? I don't know, but I was in a, a room with a bunch of new friends that I made, and you hear a knock at the door. I open it up. There's a stormtrooper standing there. I think I blacked out at that point, because the next thing I recall was the next day. <laughs> wow. There was a stormtrooper at the door. From memory, because we didn't have iPhones back then, couldn't take a picture. From memory, I, I can remember it being like screen accurate. And we had never seen a stormtrooper costume like this before. And when I say I blacked out, I, I think I may have blacked out. I was that excited because we, once again, this was something that it wasn't just the, the actor. This now was the character. And they're standing right there. Oh, my God. There were biker scouts running every, all over the place. Uh, there were a lot of Tuscan Raiders. Just everything head to toe in very professional looking costumes. Do you remember what it was like for you when you first walked in to Celebration Zero? Yes, it was wall to wall Star Wars. At that point, Star Wars fandom had pretty much dried up. And now here it is. And you're just engulfed in it. Like I was saying before, it was a good thing I had gotten in a little bit early because I wouldn't have been able, to, been able to handle it. It was that exciting. Everything. There wasn't like a Star Trek something over here or a Space 1999 lunchbox over there. It was just all Star Wars. And everyone around w- was as into it as I was. You could have in-depth conversations. I made a ton of new friends there. It, it, was, it was just exciting beyond belief. What was the, I guess, like the layout like? Like, was this all just in like one big ballroom or was it spread out throughout the hotel? It was pretty, it was in one ballroom, but then they had the, a couple of screening rooms and the main ballroom. That's where all the big panels were. Like Anthony Daniels had a, had a big panel there, which was very exciting. That's where the George Lucas panel was. So all the big panels were in the huge ballroom, whereas the dealer room was in, I would guess, like a couple of banquet rooms. But it was, it was pretty large. It was the largest convention I'd ever been to. And I'd been to some pretty, pretty big conventions at that point. And they had the Lucasfilm archive room. Oh, what was in that? Um, a couple of really big security guards. <laughs> just the, the day before, we uh, tried to sneak into there. And uh, yeah, we weren't getting past those big, big security guards. But in, in the room... Were it what they had this screen used R2D2, the Rancor puppet, I remember the Ark of the Covenant from Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that was just sitting there, was behind glass. It's same with R2, they were just sitting there, they had no no velvet ropes. I know I heard your episode on the museum you guys had just gone to, and you just breathe three feet from the uh costume, and alarms going off, and you're surrounded by a, a shark cage. You could set your drink on R2. This, this stuff was all right there for the touching, and, and touched I did. They had uh, toys from around the world. Uh, they had uh, a lot of production paintings. They had the skiff model. The archive room wasn't that big, and that was pretty much 
what they had for the big stuff. So it was impressive, but I would like to have seen more. Like as far as you know, was that one of the first times some of that stuff had been shown in public though? There were the uh, the West Cons and the Comic Cons of the 70s. They had brought for the Star Wars presentation, screen used R2 and 3PO costumes and the Vader costumes and a lot of the props. So there was that time period when they were just marketing Star Wars. But after Star Wars had hit... I think they'd always been afraid that if they had brought the stuff, there's a chance it could have been stolen. In fact, for the WestCon conventions before Star Wars even came out, they had to tell the public, oh, no, these costumes, they're not screen-used. They're just replicas. When they were actual screen-used costumes, they just didn't want anyone going, hey, this was in a movie. I'll take, I'll take this little droid-looking trash can R2-D2 3PO thing. I'm sorry, Arto, I, call, I called you a trash can. I apologize for that. He does have a potty mouth, so that's not too far off. <laughs> <laughs> was, was there anything in the dealer room that you, were, you, you picked up or you were like, I'd never seen that before or anything like that? I was flying back home, and at that point, I was such a purist that I didn't want to get anything for fear that it might tear or wrinkle or break or snap. So I was, I was afraid to get anything. I got some T-shirts and the program. But in terms of collectibles, not really. However, I am kicking myself because Gary Kurtz had a table set up. He wasn't there, but he was selling some cast and crew paraphernalia. After the films are wrapped, they make the cast and crew, these Lucite stars that say Star Wars on them. They'll make them hats and special little gifts. He had a table where he was selling some stuff, and I'm kicking myself that I did not buy anything. Someone was selling the Topps Star Wars trading cards, Series 1, for $5 a box. You can't buy a card for $5 now. $5 a box. Oh, by the way, thanks, thanks for bringing that up, okay? <laughs> Do you remember at Celebration Anaheim, there was there there was like a couple weird tables. Of, there was one person who was who like used to work for like Lucasfilm and was selling off their old stuff. Do you, then they had I, I, this is the one I still kick myself not getting. <laughs> they had a denim jacket that was covered in crew patches from all the Indiana Jones movies. Uh, but it was too small for me. We, we, we <laughs> stood there for like 45 minutes. You were trying to convince yourself that maybe you could fit into it. <laughs> I like, maybe I, maybe if, I, if I stop eating, I can wear this, this Indiana Jones jacket. But I did get – they had a in-house Temple of Doom t-shirt for like $20. I still have it. I bought that. Oh, man. Hang on to that. That was weird. What was that table? What was that? I don't even know what that was doing there. It was strange. Oh, that's the good stuff. Yeah. This is like in a, it's like in a corner. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they just set a table up next to somebody else's booth because they knew they had the good stuff. They didn't need to be in a good spot. But no, that kind of stuff, that's the best stuff. Oh, the crew stuff. Yeah. I used to have friends who worked at Industrial Light and Magic, and they would have just boxes of crew shirts. And say, hey, Rich, do you want any of these? Yes. Huh. I, I I, even though you're a, a female small and I'm an adult large at that time, I'll, I'll take your Ghostbuster 2 shirt. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I pretty much use it as a belt. Yeah, you can, always, you can just cut it under the, like, the armpits down to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, and I, I also passed up an original Blue Harvest shirt. 
luckily there's there's uh, people now who make knockoff Blue Harvest shirts, and I got in one of those, and now I'm happy with that. But at that time, I wish I'd bought that. I really do. Yeah. If you had a real one, you'd never be able to wear it, though. I, I've got a huge box of Star Wars shirts that my the uh, the shirt from this convention I have never worn because I want to keep it in pristine condition and. It hasn't been really until I started the podcast where my priorities shifted that I would never use or wear any of my Star Wars collectibles because I wanted them in pristine condition. And, and you know, like in, in Iron Man, where Tony Stark said that he wanted this valuable painting, said, OK, buy it, store it, lock it up. That's pretty much what I would do. I would just get something. Oh, wow, this is great. Or I'd put it in a box in my garage and never look at it again. And uh, I just couldn't live like that anymore. Because if I get something, I want, I want to be able to use it. So the shirts I get now, I've got to wear. But somewhere, I've got a big box full of, of crew shirts and all kind of fun Star Wars original iron-on decal shirts. In the not-so-distant future on a planet called Earth, it's Underoos. Star Wars Boba Fett is here. That means Darth Vader's always some of the panels at the convention what panels did you go to i had gone i think the, the first panel i'd gone to was the anthony daniels panel and uh, i recall waiting like an hour which was a long time at that point my friend and i got we got in uh, in in the uh at the beginning of the line and as soon as they said doors are open we just charged right for the front right for the front area so we were now within inches of anthony daniels and he came out funny as all get up and back then we didn't like you were saying we didn't have the internet we didn't have much of anything so everything he was saying was all new information because he was giving us all this behind the scenes stuff we'd never heard before i was i was just salivating i got my hands on my on my chin just looking up at him like a little schoolgirl. That was me listening to every single word he had to say. And he was just, he was a pure entertainer. Kept the crew, the, the, the crew, the, the crowd just in stitches. Tank comes time for the Q&A. I raised my hand and I said, hey, um, you had, uh, 3PO had screamed in Return of the Jedi when this large tentacle wrapped around him in Jabba's palace. Uh, can you recreate that scream? I pretty much got that silence. <laughs> you know, it's that. <laughs> and I, for some reason, I've always loved that scream. So I asked him to, uh, to do that. And he's just looked at me blankly and moved on. So whenever I, I see him at, at a convention, I always ask him to do that scream. <laughs> and he's got no idea. What I'm, he's, he's never made the connection. I'm the same person who has been asking him this for 40 years. Has he done it yet? Nope. Nope. Not at once. Yeah. As, as you know, Mr. Daniels, Anthony, and he can, uh, if you catch him on a good day, which is few and far between, he'll may oblige your requests, but not very often. So that was one of the, uh, the, the panels that really stuck out. And then on the, going on that same theme, my friend and I had gone to the Billy D. Williams panel. And my, I told my friend, hey, I asked Anthony Daniels up to scream like C-3PO. Now you're going to ask Lando to scream like Lando when he's being, being sucked into the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 the scream of the century. <laughs> so he raised his hand and said, "Hey, uh, could you reenact that scream when you were being sucked down to the Sarlacc pit?" Yeah, Billy D had not a clue what he was talking about. <laughs> I think I, all he did was, um, "Did it sound like this?" Uh. <laughs> was he wearing the the sunglasses he had at the 40th anniversary panel? Yep. And then 
comes the George Lucas panel. Oh, oh my goodness. And this had a, a line that started in the early afternoon. And to wait for a panel at, at this time period, that was nothing you had ever done before. And the line kept growing and growing. And I recall it being like three o'clock. And his panel was going to be like five o'clock. To wait a couple of hours? That's, I just don't understand this, but I'll, I'll do it. And finally, the time came, doors opened, and my friend and I just barged in and got the best seats that we could. I bought this uh, little tape recorder, and I had, I've, uh, I've got an audio recording of, of George Lucas on my little tiny micro cassette, but I also had a video camera as well. So I was thinking in terms of audio and video back then, even, even to the, that time, I wanted to make sure I got as clean audio and video as I could. And if you look at our Skywalking Through Neverland, uh, not Facebook, but the, the YouTube channel, you will see some of this footage uploaded on there, including this George Locust panel, which was mind-blowing because the, he had a pre-show that included R2 and 3PO, screen-used R2 and 3PO, and inside the 3PO costume – was Anthony Daniels. Even to this day, if I go to a celebration or a Comic-Con, and if I see an actor in their costume, my head can't take it. My, my lines of reality are blurred. Is this the actor? Is this the, the character? I can't tell. And then to see Anthony Daniels in this costume, well, I can't stop saying mind-blowing, but it really was. And then right after them came Darth Vader, voiced by James Earl Jones. So this is like seeing all your friends and your family up on stage, they're right there. And you have this personal connection to them because you've been watching them for 10 years. You've been following everything they've been doing for 10 years. And now here they are right there. And here's Darth Vader, a very, very funny Darth Vader. Well, well. And then came the big moment when George Lucas had just arrived from England. He just flew out from the set of Willow just for this convention. And here he was, walked up on stage, and Carrie O'Quinn, the editor for, for Starlog magazine, was the, the moderator. George looks at him. He looks at George. And apparently that's all the planning they had done up until that point because neither one of them knew what to do. They both just stood there and stared at each other. Who talks first? I talk first? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in the back of the room is J.J. Abrams going, oh, this is good. This is good stuff. <laughs> so he just pretty much opened it to a, a Q&A because he, he had jet lag. He was... He, he just it was focused on uh, Willow and the upcoming Tucker, the man in his dreams. So he said, okay, floor is open. Of course, one of the first questions is, will there be another Star Wars? And he said, yes. Crowd goes ballistic, goes crazy. And then he also confirmed that there will be another Indiana Jones and seven more Howard the Ducks. I wish. <laughs> yeah. still, I'm still waiting. <laughs> We're still going to the movies every week, waiting for the Howard the Duck 2 trailer to come on. <laughs> every time. Universal logo comes up. Ooh, I think this is it. 
<laughs> no. So people had, were asking him questions, and I raised my hand, hoping they would not pick on me, because if I did, I would have to speak up and talk to George Lucas, and I was nervous as all. Uh, I, I, I just, I was sweating beads. My clothes are damp. And they look over at me and say, you. Oh, no. They're picking me. And at that point, I was heavily into TV production, taking courses at my high school and doing some community TV work. So I asked him, does Lucasfilm ever have internships for young filmmakers? And the crowd erupted in applause. And uh, he said, not for young filmmakers, but we do have internships for people looking in, getting into the film business. Next question. Like, oh, uh, follow-up question. How? Where? What's, what's your, what's your, what's your, what's the link? Give me an email address. Give me something. And then when I went back to, in fact, I had missed my, my high school uh, graduation just so I could be there. And my high school did not appreciate this fact. And uh, I told them, hey, you know what? I could either talk to George Lucas or I could go come, come back here and get my diploma. You can mail me my diploma. You can't mail me a soundbite from George Lucas. You made the right choice. Uh, and I haven't looked back. George, George Lucas is always the right choice. Always, always, <laughs> always. Oh, at the very end of this uh, panel, uh, they, they brought out the big Star Wars anniversary card. Have you seen this at different conventions? Yes. If you look in the upper left-hand corner, you will see in very, very bad handwriting, Happy Birthday, Star Wars, Richard Woloski. Isn't the, is that at Rancho Obi-Wan right now? That's a great question. I will have to do some investigating on that because I want to know where that... I'm sure it's in the Lucasfilm archives somewhere, but I feel like I own part of that card, so I want to find out. Just ask if you can have your corner back. You can keep the rest. Just tear off the corner for me. I really want my, my part back. <laughs> yeah. And coming up on stage, Gene Roddenberry came up, and the whole room went crazy once again because here are these two masterminds meeting and shaking hands. Irvin Kirshner was up there. Charles Lippincott. It was, it was huge. And uh, George was holding a, a glass of water. And at the end, he put it down on the table. The panel had wrapped up. Everyone had, was being ushered out. I saw that glass of water, and guess what I did? Yes, you drank it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't drink it, but I did take it. Do you still have it? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. The, the water has evaporated, but when people ask me what is my most valuable collect, uh, collector's item, I say George Lucas's DNA. Yes. But just think if you drank the water, his DNA would have been inside you. <laughs> You'd absorb part of the Lucas. <laughs> yeah, he would have been part of you. At least until the next day, maybe, but at least that day would have been glorious. Until all the George Lucas passed through your body. I would hope that he would have a cold, because then you'd be like, you know this cold I have? This is George Lucas's cold. This isn't just any normal runny nose. Yeah. I've been sick for 40 years. I never want to get cured. <laughs> then I could sneeze into a napkin and save it. <laughs> and as, as a uh, side note, after this convention, this 10th anniversary celebration would travel from city to city, New York, Boston. I would always make it a habit to steal someone's water glass. I have one from Peter Mayhew and Anthony Daniels. Do you still have those? Yes, I do. So it's like it's like you have the you have the Burger King glass set, but instead of <laughs> having the pictures on it, it's their DNA. <laughs> How do you keep them all straight? How do you know who's Anthony Daniels' glass and Peter Mayhew's glass and Lucas's glass? Well, Anthony Daniels has got the stem. George Lucas has got the uh, glass with the bubble bottom. Peter Mayhew is just a very curved glass. So that was that was that was my collecting phase for that period. That's better than. Anything you could have got from on the dealer floor. You know what? I could have gotten a vinyl cape Jawa. I could have gotten a rocket firing Boba Fett, but nope. I wanted Anthony Daniels 
DNA. You made the you made the right choice. <laughs> now, if I put water in some of these glasses, maybe I can swish it around and maybe conjure up some Mother Talzin type of potion. You can pour all three of them together and make some sort of wonderful hybrid. He's part Wookie. He's part <laughs> Droid. He's part Lucas. So the years go by. You, what was your first celebration? Did you go to Celebration One in Denver? I didn't. I was just starting up my business at that point, and I I just couldn't get away as much as I wanted to. I just I just had to miss it. Luckily slash unluckily, there was no social media, so I couldn't see what I was missing. So it wasn't a big deal. I read about it in Star Wars Insider later on. And just flip through some of the pages. Yeah, I know I missed it. Okay. And I also missed Celebration 2 and 3 because I was just, you know, my business was just starting to get up and going. And I, I, I just couldn't leave right at the beginning of the summer season. But when 4 came to Los Angeles, oh, game on. And I got to introduce Sarah to the world of conventions. And that was so exciting. That's kind of cool that Celebration 4 was your first celebration because that's kind of where it started for you with the start with Celebration 0. It kind of had come full circle and you lived in California at that time. Yeah. Oh, that made it all the better. But now this was just a hop, skip and a jump away. And wow, I was not going to miss this because at this point in 2007, fandom was just starting to bubble up again. And we got so much new stuff in 2007 and this was the time to go. And I'm, I'm so, so ecstatic that I got a chance to go and show Sarah what these, these conventions are all about. And that was the big debut of the Clone Wars, which now Full Circle again is now celebrating its 10-year anniversary. And I recall sitting in that panel going, huh, well, that'll answer a lot of questions. You know, and it's interesting to think about, too, like you think about your Celebration Zero in 87 and the movies were done for a time and we were kind of entering this new age of Star Wars with the books and things were starting to come back up and you think about that celebration four in california and far as we knew the star wars movies were done and we were the similar thing entering this new age of kind of star wars and what it was going to kind of be like it's interesting they were both in los angeles there was celebration four was that that was like august or something wasn't it or was it was it in may uh celebration four kicks off on may the 24th 2007 with the star wars 30th anniversary Wow. So, yeah. So it was May 24th. So almost exactly when you went there as an 18 year old kid from Boston. That's that's kind of awesome. Well, this this has been an illuminating conversation. I feel like we, I feel like we traveled back to 1987 with you. Well, I was glad to be your tour guide into fandom. I don't think I'll ever look at glasses the same way either. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking glasses. Well, uh, every time I see one, I'll be like, oh, I wonder. I wonder who drank out of that one. <laughs> and if someone from Star Wars touched it, chances are which will have it in his collection <laughs> by midnight. <laughs> yeah, so once again, if you want to see these these videos, you can go to our Skywalking Through Neverland YouTube channel, and we got a lot of them up there ready and waiting for your viewing pleasure. I'll, I'll post a link uh, in the show notes to that YouTube channel, and uh, where, where else can people find you and Sarah, and how can people discover how awesome you are? Uh, we would welcome them over to skywalkingthroughneverland.com or on retrozap.com. And if you have not heard us yet, we are the Star Wars and Disney 
very fan-friendly and very, very positive podcast destination for your fandom throughout the decades. We welcome everyone over there and hope hope you uh, come over here and, and join us and have a great time. And you can also uh, find us on Twitter at SkywalkingPod or come join our Skywalking to Neverland Facebook group over there on Facebook. I think I got it all. I think that, yeah, I think that covers everything. Thank you so much, Richard. This has been a real treat. And I hope, I hope we all learned a little, laughed a little. And cried a little. Too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. All right, so iTunes reviews, like we say every single week. All you got to do when you're done listening is head over there to iTunes, write a little something, and we'll read it on an upcoming show. It helps the show out a lot on those weird iTunes charts. We like reading them, and it helps us out, so it's a win-win, as they, as the kids say. And don't forget to check out BlastPointsPodcast.com. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and definitely join the BlastPoint Super Star Wars chill group to interact with all the other BlastPoints crazies it's always good stuff going on there people just post in the best so we're always amazed by the stuff people post if you've posted something on there we love it it's like we get to listen to blast points <laughs> seeing all the great <laughs> stuff you guys are posting george lucas i get to watch the movies as a fan for the first time ever i put in rogue one on blu-ray every day <laughs> next week starts our big return of the jedi month all month long shows dedicated to nothing but return of the jedi and that all kicks off next week with our first return the jedi month episode it's gonna be a good time yeah so all month long nothing but return the jedi we're gonna have lots of cool special guests coming on joining us so that kicks off next week so you definitely want to tune in next week and check that one out but that about wraps up episode number 133 here thank you again to richard woloski for joining us and getting weird and talking about 1987. Yeah, thank you, Richard. Yeah, and thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you.
got to say, this is the first time I've ever talked about Karate Kid on any podcast. Or Bad News Bears go to Japan. First time ever. That's exclusive. You're serving the podcasting community. <laughs> May the force be with all of you. <laughs>